Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of FinTech Fridays. I'm Brian View, President, Chief Operating Officer at FinLocker, and I'm super excited to have on today Andrew Lippitt. Andrew is the founder uh, and CEO of Secure Insight. And so, Andrew, welcome to my little podcast. <laughs> well, thank you, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, it's great. I'm looking forward to, to, uh, to learning more about Secure Insight. Um, I know your um, background, you know, is in, looks like the legal side of things uh, in, in mortgage banking, as well as some other places. Um, so I'm interested to learn uh, a little bit about how you kind of came about creating the company and the product. And I think I know what you're solving for, but it'd be really interesting to kind of dive in a, a little sure. bit deeper, but maybe no, just I appreciate that. Yeah. Give us a little backdrop on kind of uh, on, on secure insight. And then uh, if you will, you know, how you, how you kind of came up with the idea and, and built the, built the business. Sure. Well, secure insight um, is primarily focused on uh, vendor management and wire fraud uh, risk. Uh, and we have built a database, a nationwide database of, that has uh, vetted profiles of about 80,000 professionals in all 50 states. And the uh, process is a robust uh, risk analysis. So we take data directly from the subjects that we're evaluating for risk. We don't get them from lenders or just from public databases. And so that makes it uh, much more uh, robust. And so we're interacting with people. We're looking at their backgrounds. We're looking at their licensing insurance and most importantly, things like their trust account and, and their internal controls. And then we have a, um, a, a metrics that evaluates them for risk and we assign them a risk. Uh, so we assign folks a risk of uh, high, which is bad <laughs> or low. <clears throat> and uh, we've been doing this now for a little over 10 years. Um, and uh, we have, as I said, about 8,000 professionals. We service about 100 lenders across the country. And they're a mix of warehouse banks, uh, uh, credit unions, uh, independent mortgage bankers, and, and traditional banks who are concerned about, you know, getting a handle on vendor management and also on wire fraud. So th that's a basic summary of what we do. Um, most recently, we've started to make our um, reports available to consumers free of charge so that they could do a uh, review and, and a, uh, a search to see who they're doing business with, where it's, whether it's a title company, an attorney, or a notary. Give them a little bit more information, empower them to make better decisions about who their partner should be. Uh, we just released recently a product we call WIN, which is a warehouse bank-focused uh, product, and that's just wire, wire verification only. Uh, it doesn't get into all the other risk factors, but a lot of the warehouse banks just want to make sure that when they send that wire, it's going to the right place. So we, yeah. we launched WIN a, a while back. And we're getting ready to launch a um, repurchase defense and loss mitigation service where we will uh, help provide analytics and assistance in uh, assisting lenders, especially in this market right now, in fighting uh, repurchase demands, indemnifications, and when they discover fraud, either pre- or post-closing, helping to analyze that fraud and to advise them what um, sources there might be to offset those losses. And we, we did that recently because we wanted to branch out into some other services, recognizing what lenders need now, but also because myself and my, my, uh, my main partner, Wayne Doctor, and others within our company are all mortgage industry veterans. Right. So, you know, mm -hmm. we, we're, not, we're a tech company, but we're not 
techies. You know, we've been in the, around the mortgage space for, you know, over 25 years, and we have a great handle on the risks that banks face from all sources. So, you know, those, that's something else we're starting to get into. That, that's the part that's fun to me, learning about kind of companies like yours and, uh, and then understanding the background of, of the founders and the folks that run the business. And so um, I know in, in your former life as a mortgage banker, right, these were all real life problems that I'm sure you and your company or the companies you work with were faced with. And so is it fair to say that the, the idea for the company really grew out of your kind of real life experiences inside of mortgage banking? Oh, absolutely. You know, I was talking about this risk way back in 2005. I was writing articles in the old mortgage press and, and going to conferences, but folks were interested. But as you probably know, in the mortgage industry, there's not a rush to embrace new compliance tools. And right. Until, uh, you know, until there's a need. <laughs> until there's a need, right? Until there's an auditor at the at the at the door, right. or there's a big big loss, and then folks are uh, looking for a solution. So you know, I talked about a lot, wrote about a lot, and I was primarily focused on the risk associated around the closing table, because I felt that lenders had started to develop you know good processes for credit risk evaluation and collateral risk evaluation. But then when it came to the closing table, it was just like forgotten. Even though their money was wet, the documents were at the table, they had a hope and yeah. pray they got signed and they were recorded properly. And the fact that folks who perform those settlement functions come from such a diverse um, group of disciplines. So you have attorneys who are highly educated, but they were sending their paralegals to the closings. You have um, title uh, agents, you have settlement agents, you have notaries. They all have different levels of education, training, insurance, bonding requirements. So it was kind of like a Wild West. And lenders had absolutely no idea who these people were because right. for the most part, they were brought into the transaction by the, the, uh, the borrower. Um, and many times there were also uh, referral relationships with loan officers and so on. But it's, uh, you know, I think it's fair to say that when the lenders were hitting that button to send the, the wire out and sending the documents, they really didn't know who was receiving them, nor did they really understand what was taking place at the closing. I always used to say there was no ch uh, chair at the closing table for the lender for the right. most part. Right. I think New York was, was the one exception because New York had bank attorneys at, at mortgage transactions. But every other state, you just sent everything and you hope the package came back. And, and, I, and I remember that the biggest issue for the post-closing department was cleaning up that mess packages coming back, you know, incomplete or things not signed. And then, of course, you had the issue of theft of funds and all right. the other type of garden variety fraud that would take place at a closing. So that's that just shocked me that the, the lenders weren't embracing better risk management. And that's what gave me the idea to create something. And my solution was a database because I felt that if we could take an objective risk standard and apply it to all those various disciplines, you would be looking at them all the same. And then if you could come up with a risk assessment and a risk rating, that should give lenders comfort level before they sent the documents in the wire that they were dealing with someone who was licensed, insured, you know, and was most likely not to commit fraud against them and their clients. Yep. And that, that's kind of how it developed. And then I had a, having worked within the industry, I had a great knowledge of, you know, compliance issues and, and fraud issues having studied it and having having litigated it and 
and even in been um, supportive of law enforcement in pursuing a lot of the, the fraud issues. And so all those things kind of came together, and that's, that's kind of how I launched uh, the company. So I, I want to drill into uh, something you've mentioned a few times, which is the, you know, the concept of vendor management, right? Um, but before I do that, I, I just had a thought. As you, as you talked about some of the, the, uh, the risk buckets that exist in mortgage banking, there's the credit risk and the collateral risk. And, and for the most part, on uh, probably 90 plus percent of the loans that get originated, every lender kind of follows a prescribed course of action by the GSEs as it relates to credit right. and collateral risk. What struck me as, as kind of interesting here as you were talking, I'm not certain that there is a similar, you know, risk um, prescription for this type of risk, this, this funding is at funding risk. And you've, you've kind of scratched an itch there, I think. Yeah, well, well, you know, I agree, and, and that's a fact. And um, I'm surprised that the GSEs uh, and the investors have not really embraced this more, um, I, even, and the warehouse banks. But yeah. a lot of folks I've talked to were like, well, you know, we have contracts in place that where we are indemnified and we can look back, but, you know, <laughs> that's not risk management. You know, that's that the horse is out of the barn already, right? So. Right. Um, but absolutely. And I do know that, you know, our risk reports do get attached to loan files and find their way up to the investors. Uh, and I did have some meetings in Washington with like Fannie Mae and Freddie and HUD. And they, they liked the idea of what we were doing. But in order for them to, to get to the point where they would mandate something, it's just such a huge bureaucratic yeah. uh, progression. I mean, I do know that, you know, within about five, six, seven years after we started, for example, if you wanted to be a uh, uh, Fannie Mae, um, uh, if, you, if you wanted to be a uh, Fannie seller servicer, all of a sudden the application started asking, do you have a, a closing agent vendor management process? Right. So some of these start, things started creeping in. You know, as you and I know, because we go back a while, <clears throat> if you had asked a lender 10 years ago, are you vetting your third-party vendors? They would say, well, what does vetting mean? Right. I'm not talking about, you know, you were at Flagstar, you know, Bank of America, larger lenders, they have, they've always had kind of a vendor management process. Yeah. Anyone who wants to do business would have to go through some level of screening. But when you get talking about vetting those third parties that could potentially harm you and your clients, the consumers, very little, if anything, was ever done about that. And so the one thing I'm most proud of is we kind of made vetting a term of art in the industry. I yeah. mean, after a few years, you started seeing it covered at, at conferences and stuff. But um, it still hasn't progressed to that point. You're right. The GSEs, the investors, they should all be, and the warehouse banks should be saying, look, to do business with us, we want to know what you're doing. Yeah, and, and you know, I'll, I'll tell you something funny. So I still, you know, we talk, we deal with warehouse banks and lenders obviously all the time, and sometimes when we're, you know, talking to potential new customers, they'll say to us, "Well, we don't have to do this because our warehouse bank does it." <laughs> and then I talk to the warehouse banks, and they say, "Well, we don't do any. We're we're not doing it for them. Right. You know, it's relying on our reps and warranties and indemnification clauses." And so there's a even today, there's a big disconnect between a lot of folks and what it is they should be doing or required to be doing. 
And, you know, it, it was a huge education uh, process to get where we are today, but we're still not there yet, you know? Yeah. I, so this, the audience that, that tunes in to this uh, humble little podcast is, is a mix of the industry, right? There's, right. you know, there's probably some people in the, in the different parts of risk in, in an organization, but I think by and large, most of the people that are kind of checking us out are on the origination side and probably leaning towards in the field, on the ground, you know, loan officers. I think we should talk a little bit about why this is this function and what you guys do and the service you provide is so important to a loan officer. Because um, I think on the surface, most would think, oh, this is a new this is a nuisance. It's going to slow me down. But at the end of the day, from where I sit, my perspective would be. I, I, as a loan officer, I can look my consumer in the eye and feel very confident that they're safe, that their their funds, their their you know their down payment, all those dollars that are that are changing hands at the table are safe because of products like yours. Uh, how often do you find yourselves in you know in front of that type of audience, kind of educating on the importance of this from a consumer perspective? Well, we do in the sense that in, in order to get a buy-in from a lender, many times the different their different departments have to accept that this is a um, valuable tool for them. So we're not just talking to compliance people or legal staff. Frequently, we're talking to operations managers. They want to know, as you said, that it doesn't slow down the process. Right. I mean, it, our reports they're issued instantaneously, and and then you know the, with from the origination side, they get nervous because, as I said, a lot of these folks are referral sources. So yeah, what are yeah. you doing? You're telling me I can't use whatever. I think it comes down to people understanding about reputational risk and what I call renting money. And uh, so from a reputation standpoint, you know, you're not going to have a long career in the industry without a good reputation. And yeah. many people get referrals from successful, successfully closed transactions. So from an originator standpoint, I would want to make sure that whoever, whoever I'm dealing with is on the up and up and that they're not going to embarrass me or cause a problem at the closing table that then is going to reflect badly on me. The second thing is what I call, talk about is, is renting money. And I used to you know, speak to loan originators all the time. I was in-house counsel to a number of banks and we, I used to do training and onboarding. And, you know, we would inevitably talk about mortgage fraud and loan quality assurance. And, and the thing I always said to them was, look, you can't just be focused on the money. You have to be focused on long-term success. Because if you're not focused on that and if you're not focused on the ethics of it and everything, you're going to close the loans, but you're going to get them clawed back. Because yeah. especially today, as you know, there's a lot of, you know, Soon as a payment's missed, what's what's the investor doing? It's taking a look at that whole loan file. Yeah. If there's an issue or a problem in it, it's coming back. And a lot of lenders are claw, will claw back commissions because yep. why should they take the hit? So so don't don't rent your commissions. You know, earn them and keep them. And so I think from a reputational risk standpoint and a and a longevity and and financial impact standpoint. Who they're doing business with as a, as a settlement agent, as a closing attorney, title agent, escrow officer, notary is important to their career. What, what's interesting on the, uh, you know, on the net promoter score, NPS side of the world, you know, I, I study what Stratmore puts out with their product. And inevitably, you could have the everything work like a champ and, and just tick like perfect all the way through the process. 
and then fumble the closing. And that fumble the closing could mean a bunch of different stuff, sure. right? But no matter how good everything was up until that closing, that fumbled closing earns you the, the worst rating possible, right? Right, of course, um, because that's the borrower doesn't really see everything up to the closing. Right. They can get, they have, see bits and pieces, and a lot of that sometimes annoys them. Send me another document, <laughs> send it to me the third time, you know, whatever. Um, but what they really see is what takes place at that closing table. And, you know, this is oft, often said and often repeated, and it's still true. The closing of a mortgage transaction is usually the single largest financial transaction of a consumer's life. Sure. So got a lot of money. They're signing the name on paper or doing it digitally, whatever. It's still, and there's still, despite every effort, there's a ton of paperwork that still has to be executed. They're relying on all the folks connected with that that transaction. And if it doesn't go right, and forget about like if it takes an extra hour. I'm talking about liens don't get paid off. Right. The deed doesn't get re recorded properly. Um, you know, payments are not sent to the right place. Wires are intercepted. Talk about having a, tra a, a traumatic experience. Right. You know, you can forget about having a relationship with that lender ever again, and they're going to tell everyone they ever met what a disaster it was. Yep. So the person who's at the closing table coordinating everything, who has that fiduciary relationship with the lender, the direct uh, legal or retainer relationship with the borrower, that's very important. And it's something that has was overlooked for a long time. It's not being overlooked now, but I still think that the import of it, the impact of what can happen there is still lost on a lot of folks. Yeah, I, I, um, I agree 100%. I, it, it still baffles me that local loan officers, I understand, you know, if you're, if you're writing a loan and it's, it's geographically not feasible to be present, but if you're local and you're, you're closing loans in your community, why you're not representing yourself at the table is just a head scratcher because nobody else in that room is representing you as the originator. In fact, if you're not in that room and, and something goes sideways, guess who gets blamed? <laughs> sure, absolutely. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a puzzlement still. I, I think um, we've progressed significantly from when I started yeah. in 2012. I mean, the pushback we got back then, Brian, was, was incredible. If I hadn't done, had 10 years of like research and development and had all the experience I had in the industry, I would have just crawled up into a ball and, and, and just closed the company because right. we, we were, I'll be honest with you, it's a public record. I mean, we were opposed by Alta. We were opposed by the bar association. I had people calling every regulator in the country. I was getting calls that they were reporting that we were committing fraud against consumers. And I mean, it was just the craziest, craziest thing. Um, we even were reported to the CFPB <laughs> and I, um, <laughs> I went into, I had to go into New York City to meet with their, um, some of the, the head of their uh, investigations department. And I sat down with them and they were like, well, what is it that you're doing? And I said, well, before we start, I want you to know that I have the, the assistant director of the CFPB's cell phone number in my phone. They were like, you did? You do? I said, yeah, I've been down to Washington. I met directly with the CFPB and the person who wrote and drafted that that first um, notice, the bulletin 2012-3, which came out in April of 2012, establishing the vendor management thing. They had no idea. 
So I spent <laughs> the next two hours just, just educating them on the risk that we were addressing and why we were doing it. And of course, by the end of it, they totally got what we were doing. Right. But it just gives you an idea. That's only a little bit. I mean, you know, the hate mail or whatever, because I looked at it this way <clears throat> and I understood because when you take a group of individuals who've never been looked at before, you know, and look, I'm a lawyer as well, but the Bar Association has no idea what I'm doing. I pay my dues, you know, I pay my membership in whatever state bar I'm involved in. They have no idea what I'm They're not doing any risk management on me. Right, right, If right. I do something wrong, maybe it'll be reported to the Bar Association. They might do about something about it in a year or two. That's the reality. So even the most highly supervised professions out there really don't have someone scrutinizing them closely. So what we did was we went down into that basement, you know, that no one had been into for like 30 years, <laughs> and we flipped on a light switch, and guess what happened? There was a lot of squealing and crying and whatever, and so we had to overcome all that. And like I said, we, I understood it. I always told my folks, look, we have to be ethical. We have to understand people get nervous when you're looking at them. But what yeah. we're doing is right for consumers and right for the industry. And um, so it was it was a long, uh, long uphill battle, but eventually we got to where we are. Now, I mean, I think, um, like you said, today, if you were to start your business today, it would be infinitely easier <clears throat> to, to gain traction in, because it's like, this, this all makes sense. There's been enough. Right. You know, there's been enough uh, bad actors out there that that you know have been kind of tripped up, and uh, and this is the right thing for the consumer, for the lender, for all the the players in the in the process. Yeah, if, in fact, it's even it's become more sophisticated. I mean, just look at the whole wire fraud issue. Oh yeah. We when we first started, wire fraud was never even talked about. You talked about theft of funds at the table. You talked about misdirected funds. You talked about title, you know, fraud and you know, facilitating, you know, straw buyers and things like that. But all of a sudden, I don't know, maybe about seven years ago, eight years ago is when the wire fraud really started to become an issue. Yeah. You know, it coincided with, you know, the digital mortgage platform and whatever. The lesson there is that the fraudsters always figure out a way to yep. perpetuate it, right? So yeah. the fraud that was happening back in 08 during the last blow up, it's still happening today. It just takes different forms and it's more sophisticated. Right. So the, so the wire fraud thing now is, is, a, is a huge issue. And that's, that's still a process that requires education. It yes. shocks me greatly to see so many fraud, uh, wire fraud incidents taking place when we have so much knowledge now about how to prevent it. And, you know, educating staff is, is a key having the proper technology in place um, but um, and using a service like ours. I mean, right. knock on wood, we've supervised about 18 million transactions with zero wire fraud losses. Why? Because our clients will not wire to any account that we have not verified right. you know, directly at the bank. So, um, you know, it's, it's a constantly evolving situation. Fraud will always be with us. Um, but... I think today people are starting to see it more and more and with the sophistication and uh, recognizing that they really have to do something. Well, I love what you guys are doing. I, I uh, commend you for uh, taking on this, this task. Cause it, like you said, it was no, no small effort to kind of, you know, 
educate and convince an industry that they had problems. And uh, I, I love the product. It definitely is uh, solving for, for big problems in the industry. Before I let you go, though, I need to understand what the heck the Civil Air Patrol is and what do you do as a wing commander there? <laughs> yeah, so um, I was a private pilot, um, and the Civil Air Patrol is the, United, is the official United States Air Force Auxiliary. It's a part of the total force, um, but, and it is, it is kind of like the reserves, but it's all volunteer. Mostly. I mean, there's there's paid staff at our headquarters at Maxwell Air Force Base in Alabama. <clears throat> but we have 52 wings throughout the country, Puerto Rico, Virgin Islands, and Guam, I think. Um, and what we do is we perform about 90% of all inland search and rescue, uh, disaster relief. Uh, we were huge in COVID, uh, you know, uh, uh, with uh, varying uh, vaccines and, and tests mm -hmm. and things and so on. We respond to natural disasters. Uh, we have the single largest fleet of Cessnas in the world. Uh, and we have, um, you know, trained ground search and rescue folks. We have uh, cell phone forensic teams. We have small uh, unmanned aerial system uh, systems that we use. We, we, we do a lot of things uh, to protect and, and assist and support uh, our communities. So I'm... As the commander of the New Jersey Wing, I'm the commander of 1,400 airmen out of um, McGuire Air Force Base here in New Jersey, and uh, I spend probably about 20 hours a week on top of everything else oh, I'm wow. doing, you know, managing those uh, issues, and it's, you know, it's a labor of love. It's, it's a way for me to give back to the community, and um, it is a, um, it's a, I'm third generation, so my, my dad flew with the Civil Air Patrol in, during World War II because we the, the organization was founded in 1941, and he flew uh, along the submarine lanes on the East Coast looking for submarines who were attacking uh, ships. And then my daughter, one of my daughters, I have four girls, was very interested in learning how to fly, and so she joined. Uh, and Civil Air Patrol has a great cadet program that teaches young people military customs and courtesies, and leadership training, and STEM, and gives them an opportunity to fly both gliders and powered planes. So wow. she flew gliders and planes and eventually got a four-year ROTC scholarship to Rutgers. So That is awesome. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you for all that you're doing for all of us. We, we uh, certainly appreciate that. Andrew, thank you so much for, for coming on today. I, I not only learned about a great company and a great product, but a great man who's doing great things for our country. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brian. Always good to see you. And everybody, thanks for tuning into this episode. Tune back in next Friday on FinTech Fridays. Thank you.